Catch up on the latest episodes of The Daily Show with The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, colon, ears edition. I wanted to say that exactly right because I want you to find it. It's Trevor Noah and the world's fakest news team tackling the biggest stories in news, politics, and pop culture. It's like The Daily Show, but for your ears only. And studies show ears are great for listening. Who are we to deny science, man? Tune on in to The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition, for highlights and extended interviews, available Tuesday through Friday mornings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your ears on a podcast. You know, with all the stresses of life, it can be easy to lose perspective on what really matters. But Heineken believes that life is about being with friends and opening yourself to new experiences. Because when you live spontaneously and embrace the unexpected, it's a chance to create new stories and connections. You just have to be open to it. So enjoy a refreshingly cold, full-bodied Heineken lager today. With its deep golden color, light fruity aroma, mild bitter taste, and a crisp, clean finish. Cheers. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracks Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also old enough to remember the Jack Bauer kill count. Because, uh, hey, youths, a little cultural history for you. Right after 9-11, there was a, a sad terrorism TV show called 24 Also, uh, hey adults, fun fact, there are now people with driver's licenses who were born after 9-11. Run run the math in your head, I'm right. Anyway, back to the youths. This TV show, 24, did two revolutionary things. Number one, it happened in real time. Each episode was around an actual hour, and they could do that action show that way because between scenes, the show's hero, Jack Bauer, teleported across Los Angeles. It was amazing. And revolutionary thing number two, fans got invested in Jack Bauer's kill count because uh, it was enormous. That was how people would watch the show. They would track the deaths. According to a Birth Movies death article, which we will food note, in Bauer's eight original seasons, which is theoretically an eight-day period, he personally killed 267 people. And that total amazed America. But here's the thing about that. I don't think the heroic murder total is actually what blew people's minds on its own. I think it was the fact that the heroic murder total happened on TV instead of in a film. Because movies are America's chosen irresponsible character death medium. And in many countries, I grew up on James Bond movies. That's pretty much the whole deal. And Britain seems to feel that works great. And that overall thing, far from just Bond, is the topic of today's episode. Tragic movie deaths we're not supposed to care about. Times an innocent, or at least kind of fine character, gets bumped off, and the movie tells us to focus on something else. And we as an audience member, you kind of go ahead and focus on something else most of the time. And our springboard is an incredible column by crack columnist Dan Hopper. He's pointing all that out in his column. He's also got experience in the TV business, as does our other fantastic guest, writer and comedian Candice Martellaro. I am so excited to sit down with both of them, and uh, we're going to dig into all this mass cultural psychology that makes us cool with body counts in movies pretty much all the time. So please sit back or sit with confidence that you've only ever seen movies that do death properly, mainly because you've only ever seen Jaws. Either way, enjoy this episode of The Cracked Podcast with Dan Hopper and Candace Martellaro. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I want to start with Dan briefly just because uh, his column, Five Tragic Movie Deaths We're Not Supposed to Care About, is sort of the seed of this episode. It's how we got into it. And reading it, I was curious what kind of sparked you thinking about this at all. What was the seed of it? Well, thanks for asking, Alex. Yeah. I, I had this idea for a column just because I saw Shape of Water, the eventual Best Picture winner this year. It's a movie about there's this like lizard guy in a tank at a government facility, and they're really mistreating him, and eventually they're going to experiment on him and kill him. And this mute woman, the main character, develops a kinship with him, and they decide they start understanding each other without language, and then she rescues him, and it's all yeah. about, like, oh, this love and empathy transcends species and speech, and et cetera. 
But while they're rescuing him, a security guard stops them. And this Michael Stuhlberg, who's a doctor who's working with her, just comes up behind the security guard and just murders him. He has a syringe of poison and just sticks it in his neck. And the guy dies. And one of the characters goes, whoa, is that guy dead? And then it like cuts away. And then it's all about, <laughs> and, and it's all about, and then it's like, oh, now they got the lizard guy in their house. And I was like, what? Wait, this whole movie is about like learning to love and understand everyone this empathy that transcends appearances and whatever. And then they just murder this guy with no second thought. And it like totally undermines. It's like, how is experimenting on this crazy lizard monster bad? If also you can just murder a guy without thinking about it. Like their characters aren't broken up about it. The right. main character's not like, I can't believe we had to make that sacrifice to do. It just cuts away and you never hear of it again. You know, Guillermo del Toro, who's I would say probably knows more about filmmaking than I do. Like that's, you know, <laughs> give or take. Uh, nah. But I, it almost seems like he realized that was a weird moment, threw in kind of a light <laughs> joke thing, and then moved on. And it's like, well, if you acknowledge that was odd that he, like, murdered this guy, why, why not at least rewrite the solution to get out of this security guard problem? It, it was right. such a weird moment. Like they couldn't just subdue him somehow? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, we have yeah. to kill him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unconsciousness. Then they I show, forgot they about show, unconsciousness. They show his whole funeral and it's just people crying and <laughs> the Sally Hemings is like, good, I'm glad. No. I never <laughs> liked that guy. Wait, sorry, did I say your wrong name? You said Sally Hemings. I think you mean uh, Sally Hawkins. Yeah, that's yeah, the not Th- Thomas Jefferson <laughs> slave, <laughs> slave lover. Uh, it's a different person, uh, but that's fine. I'll, I'll own Whoever it, it is, yeah. uh, happens to all of us. It's such an excellent example. They pull out like it, it's a movie where I think you're right. You can see Del Toro trying to do some kind of. I'm going to put a comedic boop into this scene that that'll ease it that'll make it nicer but it feels like when he's like is that guy dead it almost feels like maybe on the office when jim looks at the camera or something but it's not it doesn't help any a wink at the audience it also the lizard guy while he's back in their apartment also eats a cat a cat like hisses at him and then he kills the cat and the guy who owns the cat the richard jenkins character uh, I'm just making sure I didn't name some other slave by mistake. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, he's like, oh, don't worry about it or something. He's, I got a bunch of cats or something. And so it's like, does that cat, that cat's life doesn't matter. The security guard's life doesn't matter. But the whole movie is about this lizard having empathy for this lizard guy who is like a fearsome murdering creature. So I, I asked uh, our editor, I was like, for Cracked, I wanted to write a column about how much that bothered me. And he was like, uh, I don't disagree, but maybe a whole column on one part of Shape of Water doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I was like, fuck you. And I quit. Uh, so I quit. Yeah, it was and very dramatic. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but I, I just thought of examples of like, that really bothers me in movies where like some deaths are a big deal you know, to the plot, to the characters, and to the audience. And some deaths are treated like they're just nothing, and they just cut away. And it, I don't know, it's a thing that uh, it bothers me in movies now. Is it just the fault of how narratives work, maybe? I feel like any screenwriting book will be like, make it about one main character, super fascinating. <laughs> but then some uh, somehow that leads to everyone else can die. It's a weird phenomenon to me. I feel like over time it's gotten more extreme. Yeah, like I, I mean, so. Granted, like any James Bond movie, tons of people die and you don't think twice about it, and it's always been that way. But I feel like even more so, like superhero movies specifically, mm-hmm. people are just killed left and right, and it's like, it's a non-issue. Yeah, it's a PG-13 yeah. movie that probably a bunch of kids see, and it's yeah. like, you know, they die non-violently. They die off screen. The one example that I also wrote about in Infinity War, the recent— Oh, uh, is that a movie? I haven't heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> a little indie flick that I happen to <laughs> I happen to pick up. You should check it out. It's on Filmstruck. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. There, there's a part uh, where— uh, Thanos' alien horde is attacking Wakanda because they're trying to get the green Infinity Stone from Vision. Not it's the green a stone. yellow, I believe. The yellow stone. Yeah. yeah. He has the green one because that's what ends up. Yeah. Uh, but Vision has one of the Infinity Stones inside him, and they want to remove it, but they don't want to kill Vision. And so mm. to remove it without killing him is going to take time. And so they do this surgical procedure to remove it from him. And while they're doing this surgical procedure, they're starting to attack Wakanda. And all the Wakandan soldiers are like, yeah, we must defend Wakanda. And they all run out. And there's this huge battle yeah. where, you know, again, it's kind of vague. But, like, tons yeah. and tons of people die like, yes. vi- or get violently killed by these alien monsters, basically. But it's all just to buy time to get the Infinity Stone out of Vision's head. 
So it's just to save vision. You know, right. it's like they could have just taken that out any time. It just would have killed vision. And so it's like, we have to save vision. So throw 10 million random soldiers out there to die. And no one like questions this or, you know, no one is all, everyone who dies has like a, you know, a wife and kids and people who love them. <laughs> and you, you would think, and it's like, <laughs> right. vi like vision counts. It's like, Oh, we know vision. Like these fucking dudes, who cares? Just like <laughs> throw. And none of the characters are like, you know, scared or like there's no scene of like they're crying over their dead comrades because it's like the movie can't make that an issue. Oh. You know, yeah. it's like we have to focus on vision and it's like this fight scene is just like a cool action scene. It derails everything if it's like, whoa, 430 Wakandans just died for no reason and then they still got the Infinity Stone anyway. Well, I, I, oddly, a movie that's jumping to mind for me now is Return of the Jedi because there's that one part when they're fighting on Endor in the forest, you know, and then they stop to watch Ewoks mourn an Ewok. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's hardcore. But also very, very thoughtful, you know? Infinity War, you just, everyone dies and we move on. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier about I think older movies take a little more time and a little more thought and yeah. in terms of who they kill. I just rewatched um, Jaws recently. I noticed rewatching it recently, every death matters and they're all treated important, even for characters mm -hmm, yeah. that don't know each other. Like I love, um, it's a quick moment, but, you know, Chrissy dies the big, climactic death at the beginning and there's a shot shortly after that when they're in the sheriff's station and Brody's writing up the report where they just pan across and the kid that she was fooling around with is sitting at the table in shock and they don't dwell on it it's just a quick moment mm -hmm. but it's enough to get it across of like this impacted people and I, I can't think of any deaths in the movie that really didn't matter they're all treated I think pretty mm -hmm. appropriately yeah even characters we don't know yeah they kill a random guy in the dinghy in like the pond and then it goes after the kids but then it gets one of the kids it's so really only yeah. three people die Which at I the like, beginning I like and that it's a too. big deal yeah and I like yeah. the fact it doesn't have to be massive numbers of deaths to make yeah. it more any more scary or any more prominent mm -hmm. it's you know it only takes a few to go this is dangerous and we're scared for the town yeah that's yeah, so human it's, that's it's just that's a perfect example of the opposite of what we were talking about a good in a good movie, Jaws is a good movie. I'll say it. I'll come out. <laughs> I'll die on that hill. I'll say it. I like Jaws. <laughs> Underrated film. It's like it's rated very well. It's very it's rated extremely like, well. When a character dies, the town is in shock and it's yeah. a big deal. And like one reason I'm really glad you guys bring up Jaws is that movie, if I remember right, it was famously budget tight. They made a lot of decisions based on either we're out of money or the shark doesn't work or we have to do this and that. Yeah. And they still took the time to make deaths matter. And then Infinity War, I think, had theoretically an infinite budget. They could just spend whatever they needed <laughs> to spend. Infinity budget. Because yeah. they yeah. would make it back. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. And they skipped all the deaths. They were like, ah, who cares? We need to get more action figures out of this. Let's do it. Even even the characters that matter, even the ones that we're invested in, there's not a ton of love loss over that. Like, there's a little bit. Yeah. But, like, it, it's kind of just like, okay, well, they're dead now. Like, it's just sort of glazed over, I feel. Mm -hmm. I think they just, they don't want to derail, like, a fun action movie. Yeah. And, and it's, like, such a different type of thing than, like, Jaws, like, really wants to make you uncomfortable when the woman dies at the beginning and then mm -hmm. when the town right. is, like, reacting and when the mayor, like, hides it. It's, like, you know, you feel every moment of that instead of, like, I just want to see the next, like, shark fight. Because also, in Finney, where I feel like I remember walking out of that theater thinking, I just watched a whole bunch of death that mattered. Because you see everybody disintegrate, and then Thanos is sitting mm -hmm. there, and it's, the, it's like, that's the end of the movie? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. But most of those people are going to be back, you know? Yeah. We'll mm -hmm. link to a piece on The Ringer that tries to just prognosticate who will be back. But, for instance, Spider-Man. Uh, they're not just going to throw him out now. They've done, like, wow. one movie with him. He'll be back. Uh, but in that way, they also cheapen any of the deaths that will last from half of the heroes disintegrating. Like, in that article, they guessed that Scarlet Witch is probably done. That's probably it. But she dies sandwiched in between a bunch of other deaths, so it, it doesn't hit as much, you know? Totally. And I know there's like types of movies where you don't want to dwell on the deaths. It's like, you know, it would be weird if everyone who dies in like John Wick, you like have a funeral for them. It's, right. you know, it's just, it, it, it's like, oh, it is like a shoot 'em up movie. And these guys are just sort of random goons who he's shooting, like whatever. Like I kind of understand that to a degree, mm -hmm. but like Shape of Water is like a, you know, as a best picture film that's trying to make a point about. Empathy. Yeah, about like empathy and <laughs> transcendent love. And it just seems to not care that it undermines its its own point in itself. 
and the world gave it the best picture Oscar. Yeah. It was that not undermined to the world's mind, you know? But if you think about it, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think you made a really good point in your column in that it could be seen as justifiable that the security guard dies because he works for an evil corporation. Yes. But... Under that logic, I almost said Sally Hemings, too. (laughs) Wouldn't Sally Hawkins also fall in? She also works for that. So why is her life more valuable than the security guard's life? Yeah, or like, you know, anyone who works for Jurassic World, it's just like, you shouldn't have been doing this. So like anyone who got a job there is like, should die. It's like... Yeah, so and and that's probably another good movie to hit because there, there are some deaths in that movie, but there's one in particular you picked out with the assistant Zara, where I remember seeing it in the theater and thinking, this is very cartoony, and they're going to be kidding at some point. This uh, the, At some point, they'll be like, just kidding about having a, this Mosasaurus fish dinosaur thing throw her into the air a bunch of times gruesomely. <laughs> Obviously, this was some sort of holodeck thing or VR thing or dream. You know, we'll, we'll take this back, obviously. But they didn't. And it doesn't happen. <laughs> no, it. a lot of people complain about that when it came out. And I think that's the most egregious example of just the deaths in that movie not mattering at all. And you don't feel anything when you watch Jurassic World. It's just, like, nonsense. Um, <laughs> but, like, this, like... Au pair or whatever. She's like the in charge of watching the kids. She's and not she's even like, an au pair. She's an assistant that just got like saddled oh, yeah, with that. Yeah, and yeah. who who are supposed to hate because she's like on her cell phone twice or something. You know, it's yeah. like it's like give us a reason to hate her. It's like oh, she's like looking at her phone or so. You know, something like that. It's like oh, I hope she gets ripped apart by a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. Yeah. But she gets like in front of the kids. She gets like grabbed by these like pterodactyls, and they like t- they like carry her through the air, and then she gets like thrown in the air a bunch of times in like the water dinosaurs tank, and then gets like while being eaten by one dinosaur, another dinosaur eats like both, both of, them. of them, and it's like yeah. she gets killed like five <laughs> times basically, and it's like this horrifying thing, and then it cuts to the kids, and they're like ah, and then they like let's go, and they like run away, and it's like. <laughs> It's like you're you've just been like traumatized worse than anyone in history has ever been traumatized, basically. And it's like this little moment yeah. of like, woo, glad that wasn't us. That's the first time in a Jurassic Park franchise movie that a woman that's a speaking character dies. Hmm. And I I don't know what that says about anything, but I think it's interesting. And also that yeah. whole movie, a lot of it is on the nostalgia of Jurassic Park. And that scene is at least in my mind, clearly like an homage to when the lawyer gets it in the first one. Oh, yeah. What? I forget how he gets eaten exactly. Or he gets stepped on or something? No, he's on the toilet. Oh, the, the toilet guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, like, he ditches the kids is, the, is like his <laughs> tragic failing. Is like, yeah. He's in the car oh. with the kids. He gets scared and he runs away. So he yeah. leaves the kids, but then they, the dinosaur gets him. The dinosaur him. gets him. But the thing where I find that death justifiable or where, as an audience, I'm not torn up about it, is they built up a lot of building up this guy as a sleazy guy. He's a lawyer. I mean, not that all lawyers are sleazy, <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah. he's a lawyer. There was a whole – there was some backstory of him cutting corners of why the park was opened early when it wasn't ready and he's responsible. And then the final capper is he ditches the kids mm-hmm. and leaves them by themselves. And he, he wants Jurassic Park to be for the ultra-rich. Yes. And Hammond's like, no, everyone should enjoy Jurassic Park. Exactly. He's like, oh, maybe we'll have a coupon day or something. That was his know. coupon day I hate guy. Put, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then when he dies, it's like we're on board because – he sucked anyway. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what they tried to do with it's Zara, I believe is the name of the assistant. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. And they try to do that, but the, like you said, the only justification is that she's on her phone twice, which she's somebody's assistant. It's uh-huh. not even her job to be a nanny. Yeah. And right. that's not a reason. I've also, I am a nanny and I'm on my phone all the time. Yeah. Well, that, that's also such a weird that thing where villains. Are when they're on their phone, you know, oh, this person's a villain. When I'm, I'm sure audience members of the movie were on their phone two or three times, yes, exactly. yeah. seeing it, you know. But uh-huh. then we're watching it, like, what a jerk checking their texts. I'm gonna text someone about that. I think I'm gonna yeah. let them yes. know about this jerk. <laughs> I, I feel like Jurassic Jurassic Park is more in the Jaws category too. It's yeah. like there's maybe f- I think there's four or five deaths in the whole movie. There's like mm-hmm. a guy at the beginning, then the lawyer's the first death, and that's like 45, 50 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And it's a big deal. It's like they're all horrified by it. It yeah. ends the tension. It's There's never a part where it's just dinosaurs eating people left and right, and none of it matters. Whereas like in Jurassic World, like it's just people dying in the background. There's just 
the soldiers who go to get the Megasaurus or whatever, um, they all get killed. It's like 30 guys just get killed. And it's like, oh, yeah, like the genetically engineered big one that's that yeah. they look at all the time yeah. before it does stuff. Yeah. Which is, oh, God, I get to, I could complain about Jurassic World forever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, re- I seriously well, don't. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you bring up the first one on that one, too, because I'm starting to think maybe some of this just profusion of unnecessary death is CGI's fault. Is it too easy for a movie to just paint in a bunch of extra death that they don't need? I think so. Yeah. I think, and I think it's like free, they see it as like free action and just free like backgrounds, you know, they're like, oh, well, we'll amp the tension by just having a bunch of people die in the background. And I think in reality, it might do the opposite because then like deaths stop mattering. Whereas like in Jurassic Park, it's like every time a character dies, it's like a big moment. There's like three of them and Samuel L. Jackson dies off screen, but like. Other than that, like you, that's a it's big like a, moment. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, if people are dying left and right, and it doesn't matter, then it's like, why do I care that much more about the characters than yeah. them? Especially in Jurassic World, where it's like, I don't care about these people. It's like, yeah. you know, these kids. Like, who cares? Blend well, and there's another one we could look at that. There's no CGI, I think, as far as I know, or maybe just a little bit. Is Raiders of the Lost Ark? Because Candace, mm-hmm. you picked out that in that movie, we lose a bunch of locals in Cairo. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I just kind of move on. Yeah, and that in particular really bothers me because there's the whole Indiana Jones is irrelevant theory where if you took him out of the movie, nothing changes. Yeah. Like everything's still still unfolds the way it was supposed to. But because he's handsome. Maybe better because he finds the Ark for the Nazis, basically. Yeah, they might have actually struggled to find the If anything, he caused more problems. But because that's our hero and the person we're following, we're rooting for him, and so Uh you don't think about it. But what kind of gets me is when he's there, he leaves like a path of destruction where many locals of Cairo are killed. And if you thought about that like in realistic terms, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's all these people in Cairo just living their lives, minding their own business, and suddenly, quite honestly, this white guy just shows up. Yeah. (laughs) And suddenly they're all being killed. (laughs) I mean, well, it's their fault for living next to relics, right? Yeah, I mean, they sort of asked for it by just living there. (laughs) Just being... (laughs) They were were on their phones, too, for a little bit. But it's funny, because that's not something I ever... I've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark so many times since I was a kid, and it's not something I ever thought twice about until recently, like someone pointed out to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) those poor people, (laughs) that sucks. Yeah, that's one of the movies where we have Nazis, right? And a a whole bunch of Nazis dying, great, they all signed up to be Nazis. But then we just, I think, maybe start to accept death throughout the film if it's anybody, right? Because we're just used to, there's going to be a lot of death because he's fighting Nazis, is the way it is. Exactly. Yeah. But what about the Egyptians? They're fine. Yeah, it's (laughs) like they didn't do any, they were minding their own business. In Temple of Doom, too, there's a moment where he, one guy in the mine, he like crushes in like a, in gears, Remember, he like, oh, like, yeah. He's like fighting a guy and then his like scarf gets caught in these like gears or whatever. That and he crazy. gets like pulled in and you like hear him get smashed and then you see like blood. And it's like, again, would be not that that guy didn't deserve it, but would be like the most traumatizing, awful thing to ever <laughs> witness. There's like a little kid and like a woman there. And, you know, Indy is like, I guess, just a cold hearted killer at that point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and it's, and he does that and uses like the rope to like, to you know, get up to a higher level, and it's like they play like the John Williams, like dun, 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 like when he does that, it's just like <laughs> you just like sm- smashed a guy in the most violent way imaginable, like so violent it like couldn't be shown on the screen, and then you like play the music to like paper over it. It's just weird how movies like use sleight of hand to kind of like either make deaths lighter. Or make you like pay like no 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 pay attention to indie don't worry about like how b- like brutal that guy's last moments were right yeah an old or item these, belongs in a museum so that guy needs to get run through some yeah gears. these are these people <laughs> the in Cairo it is, it's like who yeah. cares these people probably aren't worth uh, you know you caring about it's like it's bizarre well and there's also there's a movie I was thinking of uh, because it's a Harrison Ford role ish too but the new solo movie where it's a new guy. There's Tandy Newton in the movie. Oh, a, a black female person with lines in Star Wars. Amazing. And then she kind of dies for nothing and we just move on. It's really frustrating to me. Yeah. I, I didn't love that movie in general, but especially yeah. that she, 
dies to help other people complete a heist. So just for money, basically. And then everyone, including her husband, Woody Harrelson, is like, well, it's part of his journey. Let's keep going. You know? Yeah, it is treated very much like, well, that was her role to fulfill, and she did it. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's his exact line, actually. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's a wrap on Thandy. Like, <laughs> speaking of other pet peeves, I seriously like movies, guys. I really love movies. I'm like pointing out all these things I hate. Um, I think movies in general, and especially recently, I feel like it's been a very, uh, the last like five, 10 years of movies love having characters sacrifice themselves. The characters in the movie almost treat it like, oh, it's a movie. I'm not going to exist in two hours anyway, so I might as well just do this heroic thing so I have like a point in the movie. And in real life, you would be doing everything in your power to stay alive under every circumstance. Not everyone is this like so noble and like steel-hearted. They're able to just kill themselves for like a little moment that might work. Like it might not. Like you might like blow like Thandie <laughs> right. Newton or whatever might blow herself up. There's a moment at the end of Prometheus that I think is the worst example of that, where yeah. they try crashing their their ship into another ship to prevent it from escaping. Because it's a it's an alien franchise movie, so they need to keep the aliens where they are. Yeah, yeah. And Idris Elba is like the pilot, and he's like starts putting all the settings on to like ram the ship. And he's like, I'm going to do this. Like you guys don't have to be here for this. He, he yells to like the two other crew members and they're like, no man, we're sticking with you. Instead of like leaving the ship and living the rest of their lives, they're both like, you know, 30, they stay on the ship and like kamikaze it with Idris Elba, <laughs> like in the hopes that it works. Like they don't know it'll work. And then yeah. it's like a shot of like the three of them all put their fists up like, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> and they sh- and they crash the ship into the other one and it blows up. And it's like you just died like a fiery, horrible death at age like 30 for no yeah. reason when one dude could have crashed the ship. Like it's already like. <laughs> Damn, that's bros being bros. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. When you break it down that way, it sounds like he was leading a cult. Yeah. It's, right. <laughs> it's kind of that, right? Yes. But it's just it's just like screenwriters being like, whatever, this movie's going to be over in 15 minutes anyway, so these characters don't give a shit. So they're like, yeah, I might as well die in a cool way, instead of being like, I want to live the rest of my life. Because you have so many ways to kill off your characters if you're writing an alien franchise movie, because you have the most murderous aliens imaginable yeah. in the film. Yeah. Just have them eat the guys. Mm-hmm. Why are you having them brahim out with their buddy? Because they just have to crash with them. <laughs> it's really weird. But, uh, Last Jedi had a scene where they, they crashed the ship. The Lord Dern character. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Kamikaze's the ship. I don't know. I mean, is everyone in these movies so unafraid of death and so noble? They're just... In real life, you would be literally shitting your pants, like if you were about to die. This is really dark, but what if her backstory was that she was suffering from, like, horrible depression? (laughs) (laughs) It just seemed heroic, but that was her way. (laughs) God. Sorry. She has a a terminal illness that's causing her pain, and she's like, might as well do this. And I'm not going to tell anybody, and I'll just seem like a hero. (laughs) (laughs) That is more plausible than what happens? Because I, I mean, I'm also thinking, I don't know how, you got, how much you guys follow tech news, but we're about to get self-driving cars. It's about yes. to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And these people in Prometheus and in Star Wars live in the future, basically. Star Wars is technically the past somehow or something. I don't know how it works. If I was one of these people in the future, I would say, there has got to be a way to just program this thing to ram into the thing. And then I will leave because we're in the future. Yeah, yeah. I wondered that <laughs> when I saw the movie. <laughs> and and they're also positive it will work because it, it has to if they're sacrificing themselves. Yeah. Like, I can't even send a text without, like, double-checking to make sure I didn't mess it up, like, right after I send it. It's like, imagine being like, all right, I'm going to kill myself. Hope it all works out. Basically, it's such an unnecessary risk. Basically, I'm convinced that movies all now feature the most arrogant cult leaders ever. Yeah, and right? that's what's happening. <laughs> like, I know this will work because I'm me. <laughs> yeah, it's either it's got to be that or they have this like severe depression that the movie doesn't talk about. Yeah. And it's like actually the saddest scene in the world. <laughs> Both of those make more sense than yes. just a rational person killing themselves and not being scared about it. Also, dare yeah. I say both those things would make these movies much more interesting. <laughs> Probably true, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just want robots that are cars punching each other. But you guys, sure, you can have these dramatic <laughs> stories if you want. That's fine. And we're also, we're talking about a lot of heroes, I feel like. And uh, there's also, as we were working on this, there's a lot of 
villains who die. And then I feel like when a character is even a little bit villainous in a movie, they can just be killed off and we don't worry about it or stop or try to figure it out. I think Candace, you'd picked out in Thunderball and just whole Bond franchise. A, I love it. B, full of holes and problems. And Thunderball is full of these divers who are just killed and that's it. Yeah. And they're not just even just killed. It's like brutal how he kills them. He's like ripping their masks off and cutting their airlines and stuff. Yeah. So it's like they're drowning and suffocating and it's awful. <laughs> it's not even just like a quick like bang and we don't see what happens. It's it's like brutal and it's the whole point ah, of the scene. Ah, yeah, yeah. I have a family. Kind of what I imagine. Yeah. Well, like we realized about Shape of Water, there's something called unconsciousness, and uh, filmmakers yes. should try it more. You can knock people out, and you know, then they live through the events of the film, but also the hero can move on. Yes. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least I would, I guess, Bond is like completely stone cold at that point in his life. Like, Indiana Jones is like a professor. He's just, like, murdering people right. and, like, doesn't feel any remorse. <laughs> it's true. like, or, may, or maybe he is just a psychopath the whole time, and it's like, finally, I get to, like, crush these people. It's, like, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do go back to Bond movies sometimes, and I'm, like, a little surprised by how how violent they are for the era or something. You know, they don't show blood and stuff like that. There's no, like, gore, but it's still just, like... Yeah, they Damn, they just killed all those people. Yes. It's like really weird. Well, there's one, because as we were looking back on these, I realized that in Goldfinger, which one of the earliest ones was 1964, there's a part where Bond is not involved in the killing at all. It's Goldfinger holds a meeting of mafia guys. Yeah. And he says, hey, you guys can fund my operation, and this is how it would work. But also, if you want to leave, you can. And then either way, he kills all of the mafia guys with nerve gas and just moves on. And... I don't know if all of those mafia guys deserved it. You know, the mafia is involved in a lot of kinds of crimes. There's terrible murder drug stuff. There's also, like, college sports betting, you know? Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe some of them had money to invest from point shaving on yes. Big yeah, East was, games was, like, or something. running the numbers in, like, a neighborhood that doesn't have a lottery or something like right, that. Right, right. Like, and, they, and they're all killed. Crushed into a car cube. <laughs> and in the movie, they're all killed with a chemical weapon. And all we're supposed to focus on is James Bond being under this diorama getting some information that's that's the whole point uh-huh. it's crazy and i i watched it as a kid like 10 times a good rule of thumb if if a bond villain ever asks if you're in or out on like an investment just go in oh yeah like if yeah plank it down every yeah. movie there's one guy who's like your plan is crazy he's like very well i'll escort you out and he's like okay thanks and then they like <laughs> just like leave right into this like pit of you know sharks right yeah. well fair is fair so yeah. long you know never <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's also there's one other Bond movie that jumped to mind for me, which is License to Kill. It's mm-hmm. the I think the second Dalton one out of two. And there's a character in it. His name is Truman Lodge, and he is the accountant for the bad guy. And the bad oh, yeah. guy just kills him for basically being encouraging. It's a really <laughs> weird, but because he's part of the villainous structure, we're like, ah, the villainous people can die. Bond destroys one of their tankers. Truman Lodge says, brilliant. Well done, Franz. Another $80 million write-off. Ha ha. And then Franz says, then I guess it's time to start cutting overhead and just kills his accountant. And that's it. <laughs> and we, did, we didn't need to stop for that. Bond movies are long enough. You know, cut it down. <laughs> just let him live and, and let's get more action, please. <laughs> no, I seriously meant write-off. He's like trying to explain it's like not bad. Yeah. I, think, I think what he said is sort of true somehow, you know, like villain accounting as far as it works. <laughs> You know, everything's illegal, but above the table stuff, write it off, man. It's great. You get yourself a good villain accountant. They pay for themselves. It's true. Um, but it's also like, what do we gain by seeing that character die? Yeah, nothing. Like, that's, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I think License to Kill was like, you know, the Bond movie franchise is like very malleable. And I think it was like the rise of the 80s like Schwarzenegger, Stallone, hyper-violent movies. Yeah. I think the Bond franchise tried to do one that was, like, really violent. And, like, License to Kill is, like, much more that's violent than point. most Bond movies. That is true. That That's the one where the guy's head explodes, right? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the decompression uh-huh. tank. And, and Benicio Del Toro gets torn in half by, yes. like, a drug machine. Yes. It's like a <laughs> cocaine-cutting machine. He just gets, like, yeah, eviscerated. <laughs> there's a part, too, speaking of random guys who die, there's, like, one of the bad guys— Bond has him like cornered in like an aquarium 
And the guy like, gives him a briefcase of money, and he's like, just you know, take this money and go or something like that. And Bond just like hits him with the suitcase, and he falls into a shark tank, and the shark <laughs> eats him, and there's like dollar bills everywhere. Yeah, and right. then the character is like, what a waste of money or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like – you know, I, I don't know if that guy was a murderer. I can't remember, or if he's just some like some cog in the company. You know. Yeah. Well, and that and that seems like another thing of the way storytelling works is just evil. Maybe like it's a thing where we don't want to take the time to mm-hmm. fully morally weigh whether these people should die or not. So if they're just anywhere in the orbit of the villain, they can be dispatched immediately with a bond pun. Yeah, that, that's weird, yeah. right? Like I don't know. I wonder why we don't notice it more as audiences. Like you said, I I forgot that I mentioned that in the column that Sally Hawkins is working for the same facility that houses the lizard guy. Yeah, she doesn't count though. But everyone who works at Jurassic World is fair game, or like everyone who. An accountant for a bad Bond villain is like... Yeah, I think in the column you bring up Westworld, too, which Mm -hmm. is a TV world, but it's one that is cinematic and also nuts. Yeah, uh, in Westworld, in the first season, the robots start revolting, and they... Candy Newton's character, uh, they, they start giving her increased capabilities for whatever reason. They're in love with her or they're terrified of her. It's not totally clear. Um, yeah, she gets into the basement of the place, right? And then they start changing her skills on an iPad yeah. so she can do more yeah, stuff. She's like, I want to do this. And they're like, yeah, sure. Or, yeah. you know, some guy's in love with her. Or it's not, I forget what the motivation is. But it's these hapless scientist dudes, basically. Yeah. And then she goes on a warpath and just starts killing them. You know, it's just starts killing all these scientist guys. And you're, it's, you know, not portrayed tragically really it's just like almost like an action scene or it's like they're getting their comeuppance for like putting the hosts through all this torture mm-hmm. that kind of thing and it's like well no, they're just like engineers at this company and you start to think about like not to broaden it too much but it's like I don't know like Exxon or something is probably a pretty evil corporation <laughs> or like you know Halliburton sure, yeah. uh, my you know my my sister-in-law was an engineer for Lockheed for a while and it's like I'm sure they've probably done some evil it's like is everyone involved in this vague company responsible for everything the company does and yeah. therefore should die with no repercussions it's like Right, and have it be focused on as a cool action thing. You know, yeah. it's not even neutral. It's like, isn't it neat that finally she's kicking ass? Yeah, it's like I, I guess some of the some of the scientists maybe take sick pleasure in like messing with the robots, but like yeah. in general, they're doing what the company's doing, and they're not like constantly questioning the morality of whether or not the hosts can feel or have memories or something like that. And then it's not really their role to do that any more than like. I don't know, someone who works at an Exxon station is like worried about the impact on the planet. And it's like, right. is that person then morally so morally culpable that anything Exxon does is their fault and also they, we should just kill them or in like the most throw them in jail. Fashion, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. like, and it's like you said, it's just this very, it's like, it's a movie or a TV show. We just want this like real simple dynamic of like, okay, bad, 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 bad. These people can all die and it's like fine. There's, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be complicated, and we and sometimes movies will dwell on like the ambiguity of that and make that a plot point. But sometimes if it's like an actiony thing, it's like we don't want to derail the fun of it with like exploring how brutal it is these people die. So it's like, okay, they die, and then back to the next scene or something like that. Or like it's a badass thing, like in Westworld, it's like, you know, it's that cool where the robots start yeah. finally killing people. It's like, yeah, <laughs> fuck this company, and you're like, well, all right, like. Right. Those are just employees. <laughs> the Westworld people have at least one janitor, you know? It's just sweeping floors yeah, right? in the, this giant, enormous basement. <laughs> it also is kind of interesting to me, I'm thinking of this in, in terms of Westworld, but more so with Jurassic World, of the idea of Jurassic World is mapped very much over Universal Studios, like very directly. It basically is <laughs> Universal Studios. And I, like it's just fascinating to me that there's the idea that everyone that works for the park deserves to be punished. Mm-hmm. And also kind of people attending the park, because a lot of them get picked off and killed too. Yeah, but at the same time, right. it's meant to promote their park. I watched that movie, and at the end of it, I thought, I never want to go to Universal Studios yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to die a horrible death. Well, as a, as a real simple example, too, uh, you know, Blackfish, the documentary about SeaWorld, it just shows you how, like, kind of sad it is for these orcas 
who have to live right. their life in captivity. They like shortens their lifespan and they can't like live their natural life. They start acting out and stuff like that. And you're just like, would I then root for everyone who works for SeaWorld to die? <laughs> like, I don't know. There's some in between of like, maybe we should like be more yeah. humane if, yes. you know, and it's like, also I've been to SeaWorld. I've been to zoos. Like, yes. Yeah, I, I worked at a zoo. I, it was an entire oh, chapter oh, for two you summers. Should, you should die. I don't know. I just <laughs> you deserve... get flung into a, <laughs> yes. a pit of jaguars or whatever. Yeah. Multiple times, and yeah. then another animal will eat that jaguar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ray- <laughs> <laughs> Omega Jaguar, no. <laughs> I have seen you. On, great I have seen you on your phone before too. I mean, there's three strikes right there. <laughs> just, just before that, we got into like enormous philosophical questions of of fault for overall societal problems, whether it's an oil company or a mm-hmm. Sea World type organization. Who's to blame? Is this the kind of thing where? As a society, as people, we haven't figured it out yet. So then all of our entertainment is sort of just throws a bunch of ideas at the wall because none of us know. Maybe it's maybe it's that all these questions are just too big. I think it is, right? I think yeah. it's like it would really be almost impossible in a non-documentary to explore all the here's all the capitalist implications of like a company like Exxon and how it functions and all of its yeah. impacts. And then it's like you know, this movie delves into the systems and who's culpable and stuff. It's like, it's so complicated and so vague. You know, it's very legal and like very like philosophical that like you need to boil it down to a a story, like one story and resolve it. But I think off of what you're saying, and maybe this is a weird direction to go, but we are living in a bit of an outrage culture at the moment. And I think that might be kind of reflected in movies a little bit of like, when we're mad, we want to hold everybody culpable. Oh, and interesting. So that, that could be reflected. I could be wrong. But kind of a counterpoint to that I was thinking about is Stranger Things. How so? There's a, the most recent season. There's an arc where the um, Eleven has these flashbacks to how her mom was brutally, like her brain was scrambled. And yeah. she can see vividly the guy who is literally turning the dial to do this mm-hmm. brutal, awful thing to her mom. And she gets a chance to have her revenge on that guy. And she's with him face to face in his home and then looks over and sees there's pictures of his kids. Oh, you're right. And yeah. stuff and yeah. this human moment of like, you did something so terrible to me, but it's because you're a peon for this company, but you're a person too. And she chooses to leave him. I think it's interesting that in a time where we're talking about all these movies where deaths don't matter, that such yeah. a mainstream thing like that made a point of that storyline. It might be in my least That's favorite cool. episode, but I think it's interesting. That's a great point that they centered the story on yeah. the question of morality and revenge and stuff. Exactly. And maybe if you don't center the story on that, you just end up being careless with it. And granted, that's a whole show based on nostalgia for older movies, but right, I, yeah. I thought it was a well-played moment. That's a really cool point, yeah. yeah. When you start seeing these movies side by side, the ones that bother us and the ones that we like more, I think that's the running theme is like whether or not the characters do die or not, just having it matter and having people react truthfully to it and stuff like that. You know, she like, you know, she's a whatever. She's a, a kid who will be traumatized probably by killing this guy. Even if she gets a revenge, it's not, she's not just going to move on. Yeah. Whereas like in a two-hour movie, you can just kill someone and move move on. The character's not haunted by her memories of this action she did. Yeah. Especially if there's just a million people dying all the time, then it's like... Ironically, then it makes it like more. It makes it more tense than like having a thousand deaths to have like one thing you focus on, and maybe the character doesn't even die, something like that. Because mm-hmm. you can like wrap your head around that moral dilemma a lot more than like it's not like a thousand people dying. It's a thousand times more impactful. Yeah, there's so many movies, especially lately. I feel like that are about one person's life being in the balance. It's a survival movie, like mm-hmm. uh, The Shallows with Blake Lively. Will she survive the shark? The Grey with Liam Neeson. Will he survive the wolves? It's There's a few other people in that one, but it's it's movies where it can be just about one person. So then yeah. when we have, I just keep coming back to Jurassic World where there's people getting picked up by flying dinosaurs in the background yeah, randomly and it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it, it just becomes wallpaper. It doesn't become exactly. a thing. Exactly. Yeah, this, oh my God, the scene where it's camouflaged is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like they're, it's like this strike team of like 30 guys with guns and they're looking for the, the Megasaurus or whatever, I forget what it's called. And then it's like, yeah. turns out to be invisible and then it appears and it's, it's like, oh, it was camouflaged. And the guy goes, it's camouflaged. 
and then it just kills all 30 of them. <laughs> and you're like, well, you saw it. So, like, it being camouflage had nothing to do with anything. It didn't surprise you. And right. then you had all your guns, so, like, what, like whatever plan you were going to do wouldn't have worked if it wasn't camouflaged. It, it's just like you saw it and all got killed. I don't know. And also, again, <laughs> juxtaposed against Jurassic Park, the classic scene, and it's my, one of my favorite movie moments with where the Velociraptor sets up the Velociraptor expert. Uh-huh. And he has just that moment where they make eye contact and he says, clever girl. Uh-huh. And then she kills oh, him. Oh, yeah, in the first one, yeah. Yes, yeah. in the first one. And it's so much more well played than it was camouflaged, but I can see it. <laughs> yeah, when these random soldiers see the thing, it, you just don't even need to see the scene. It's like, well, here's the scene where it kills all all the guys. Yeah. You know, like, you know it's coming. You're not like... I wonder if these guys are just going to kill this dinosaur. That that happens in, in Marvel movies. Has that have those scenes sometimes too? Thor Ragnarok, which I liked a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, there's the scene where the like evil queen or whatever comes to take over Asgard, and the soldiers are like, "We're going to stop you!" And then you're like, "All right, I know what scene this is going to be. They're not going to stop her." <laughs> it's yeah. like so right. they like all attack her, and she just kills all of them. And it's like a badass like choo, choo, like turning around, shooting people, killing them. It's it's like you know what the scene's going to be before it starts. It's like you almost don't even need to play it out. Like find a more interesting way to have that scene. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's actually, especially with deaths as a pure sort of vibe setup or almost just a tiny plot move. You'd picked out King Kong in your piece, the the remake by Peter Jackson, where there's a part where King Kong is walking around New York, picking up blonde women and checking if they're Naomi Watts and then throwing them aside, Yeah, which is real screwed up. I don't want to see it. (laughs) Like I understand he wants Naomi Watts. I don't need to, we don't need to wipe out ladies in the process. I feel like King Kong is almost like a, almost very similar to Shape of Water because they tried to make this dynamic where Naomi Watts and this ape have like a kinship that transcends, you know, Mm. species and language and stuff. But then throughout the movie, there's just people on her strike team and in New York just getting slaughtered left and right. (laughs) And there's like no empathy for them. And then that scene, I feel like, is a good microcosm of it because the ape is running around uh, Manhattan looking specifically for Naomi Watts because he like loves her from the island because she does a funny dance for him, basically. Anyway. (laughs) Oh my God, that's that's the plot. That's kind of the plot, yeah. (laughs) Um, Sorry, ripping on like a 20-year-old movie. But... um, And so he's running around, picks up blonde women, and, like, looks at them, and it's, like, not her, and he, like, tosses them aside. But the camera (laughs) stays on King Kong. He doesn't, like, whip them through a window or anything, but he just tosses them. So it's, like, trying to make it look casual, but it's also, like, (laughs) you know, I don't know, it's, like, 20 feet tall, 30 feet tall, something like that. Casually murdering Yeah, so these women are falling 35 feet, (laughs) and, like, even if he's not throwing them hard, like, Falling out a second or third story window, like they're going to be like handicapped or so, you know, or like severely yeah. wounded when they land. Or surely they'll be like, saved by 1920s medical technology. <laughs> yeah. The best there is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but they, but the, the the point is that the movie doesn't have time for them. You know, yeah. it's like no, this scene is about King Kong. This movie's about King Kong and Naomi Watts. And so it's like, we have to keep the camera on King Kong because he's looking for them. We can't focus on these women or what happens to them. We can't focus on the strike team when they're on the island and they're just getting killed by these weird monsters. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But when King Kong dies at the end, he falls off the building and it's strings and music and he slowly slips off and Naomi Watts is like bawling and Adrian Brody kind of sees her reaction and then he feels it. He's like, oh, she really felt something for that ape. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) I I love how every plot point of King Kong sounds dumb. It's a good movie. It's just really funny to me that saying it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) So the ape dies and it's like everyone reacts. And then Jack Black is like, you know, twas beauty killed the beast. And they're all like (laughs) really sad about King Kong dying. And it's a big deal. And it's like, no one gives a shit about, the planes he blew up. No one cares about everything he all everything he destroyed in Manhattan. Yeah. All the guys who went to the island who to capture him are cul- they're culpable because they're you know kind of villainous or they're in this company who are bad. So like they should all just die. Like and horrible horrible deaths. Yeah, that movie came so out, violent. I was fourteen 
Uh-huh. When that movie came out, my parents took me to see it. Oh, man. And I was so upset at the slug <laughs> scene that I left the theater. And, like, oh, I was 14 yeah. and I couldn't go home because my parents were in the movie. But it bothered me that much. It was such a brutal, brutal death. Yeah, this guy yeah. is in, like, yeah. a, a pond that's full of these monster leech things with a bunch of teeth. And they yeah. just get his arms and legs and then one goes over his head. And you just see him getting eat, all his limbs and his head eaten by these leeches. And it's like... Just like a, just a death, whatever. It's not, it's like, that should be the climax of the movie. They should all be like, holy shit, that guy just died the worst death anyone's ever died. Who cares what happens to this giant ape? Like, it wasn't even (laughs) real when I was traumatized. Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're just like, and then they get out of that scene and they're like, we got to find the ape. And it's like, they're not like, Oh my God, we just witnessed <laughs> the worst thing ever. Larry just went in the worst possible way. Yeah, and Jack Black is like a is like a explorer kind of, and Adrian Brody's like an actor. You know, he's not a soldier, I don't think. No. So it's yeah. like, how are you just stomaching this? Like, how are you not just vomiting every second of the movie? Yes. It's like... Yeah, it it and, almost and, feels like they're responding the way you would respond if you know you're in the movie King Kong, where not only is this a movie, but also there's next story beats we need to hit. Yeah, so yes, let's just exactly. keep going. And and it's it's just it, how it reminds me of Shape of Water is like they've predecided it's a movie about this relationship between Naomi Watts and King Kong, yeah. and so everything else is secondary, and the movie treats everything else secondary. So it's like why like why do even the characters care more when King Kong dies than all these people? in Manhattan and all other side deaths, even if they're really brutal or characters who don't deserve it, like, don't count. That kind of brings up another point from your article, too, of the idea of, like, people putting stock into animals over people. And I loved your reference <laughs> yeah. to uh, Independence Day. Yeah. Where all these people are dying horrifically, but it's like, but the dog, is the dog okay? Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I feel like I go back and forth on that because I hate, like like everyone, I hate when dogs die in movies oh, and no, it's really tragic. Handle, yeah. yeah. Well, and if people at home don't remember, isn't it a thing in Independence Day where a dog dives out of the way of a fireball and yeah. it's a slow, whole slow motion moment and they yeah. really make a meal out of it? It's like early CGI too. I think the yeah. dog has like, yeah. a, has like a three inch like border around it. Like, you know, it's like, it was like physically cut out of a film and they like, cl- they like moved it over with their hands to like, you like, can just see two guys in green suits carrying the dog <laughs> physically. <laughs> yeah, but that's one where the dog jumps out of the way and it's it's a triumphant moment. It's like, come on, come on, boy. And the dog jumps and escapes this fireball that in that shot is killing millions of people. I believe all of Los Angeles is dying in that, in yeah, that shot. Yeah, all of yeah. LA and New York are destroyed. <laughs> yeah. And DC. Like, everyone Which, gets killed. And it's like, the dog! It's like, well, there's <laughs> dogs in those freaking buildings. like, And people. Yeah. And we won't even talk about how implausible that is, too. Yeah, no, we <laughs> yeah. found a we found an alley with a corner, and we're fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's alien proofed. So. Yeah. The f- you know, flame goes straight. It doesn't turn left <laughs> yeah. down the corner. The fire's like, where's the people? <laughs> it's just like, stay straight. It's like, stay over here. Don't let the fire hear you. <laughs> It's like fire is a confused Scooby Doo villain, and it's one of those hallways where they're all going back and forth. She steps on a broken bottle, and the flames like, and it like turns to the left. She's like, and then she's really quiet, and then it just keeps moving. (laughs) I feel like we might kind of always have these movies where death is just common and tossed off. Maybe Uh, I don't know if there's a way to like reform them or something, but. As viewers, if we're sitting in a movie, what can we do to recognize that the deaths are totally tossed off? I'm trying to think what we do as viewers to change the system, you know? How do we make it better? Let's fix Hollywood in two seconds, <laughs> real quick. Yeah, yeah. We are in Hollywood, right? We're yeah, yeah, we're in the epicenter. We yeah, yeah. Make... the center. All of Hollywood is around us right now, guys, waiting for our answer. <laughs> I think we should just make every movie Jaws is my takeaway. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a gold standard, right? Yeah. It holds up, and it's action-y, but there, there's so much tension for mm-hmm. the tension per death ratio. How many, there's, like we said, there's five people die in that movie, something like that? Yes. Yeah. I, I just think recognizing that, like, more people dying doesn't mean more tension or more action, necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but, but also, there's different types. Like we said, there's different types of movies. I don't think Infinity War wants you to feel every death. Because like then right. you're miserable, whereas Jaws wants you to do that, so you're scared like yeah, for the next thing. Totally. Like Infinity War is not trying to scare you. Yeah. So on that level, I understand it, but I guess it's like then if that's the case, then right around it. So right, so they have to like defend Wakanda, not so they're doing it voluntarily because 
they care about vision more than a hundred random Wakandans. You know, that's yeah. that's what bothers me. Not just that I don't expect that every movie dwells on the death of every side character, but like bringing it back <laughs> to what you were saying earlier is let people have human reactions to things. Yeah, I think that's the biggest. Yeah, thing. Uh-huh. yeah, I think so. What really does bother me is when I'm sitting there being like, "Whoa, wait." That shouldn't that be horrifying? And like no one on screen seems to care. I think that's what takes me out of it yeah, a little bit sometimes. Maybe as I've gotten older, I feel bad for people who die in movies more than like, you know, when you see horror movies, sometimes you're like, yeah, when like Jason kills someone in a cool way and you like want to see people die. I feel less like that when I see movies now. Like if there's a death, I would rather have it matter in some way. Versus like I'm not just like clapping it like yeah dinosaurs killing people I love it yeah. it's like so, yeah. it's boring like the movie's also not presented to us that way either like if you go into a slasher movie that's what you signed up for yeah so, like you're yeah, excited totally. because that's what it is sure. but yeah. going into Jurassic World that's that's not the agreement I had with my movie ticket uh-huh. when I walked in yeah <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and like you go into John Wick or something like that yeah. you know a bunch of people are gonna die and it's not gonna matter no because it's, it's a shoot 'em up it. yeah. yeah. And then Jurassic World and all those movies, they do tr- – sometimes they're, like, out of obligation will throw in these human moments. There's one scene where the kid's, like, sad about a divorce or something. Yeah. And they're, like – and right. then it just cuts away. And they're, like – because they, like, <laughs> have this vague awareness they need to throw in scenes of humanity because it's not a slasher movie or a, yeah. or a John Wick. It's, supposed it's to like be a family movie. Yeah. It's supposed – because they're, like, <laughs> you know, we have to make people care about these characters. Yeah. And then they don't really accomplish that. And then also if – the reality is such that these people dying is a big deal, then why is it not a big deal that a million other people are being killed by pterodactyls in the background? I, I feel like Inglorious Bastards is another good example of like just like really tense where, yeah. you know, the whole first scene or the whole scene where they're they're sitting at that table in the speakeasy and the German captain comes over and sits with them. Where like Yeah, that basement bar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's really, really tense. And the whole time, because you you don't know you, you you feel the danger and you feel for the characters, but you also don't know what's going to happen. And so I mean eventually that blows up and there's death, but like the tension is there for so long versus a scene like, you know, like we said in Ragnarok where it's like, let's attack the villain 40 minutes into the movie, and you're just like, I know what's going to happen. Like, she's just going to kill right. all of them. It's not, and it, it's it's not as quite as interesting. It's Because like, it's like a type of scene you recognize. You're like, oh, here's where we establish the villain's badassness, and she yeah. slaughters all these guys. And so it's like, you recognize the scene, you're like, I, I almost don't even need it to play out. Especially because it's Marvel movie number 16, 17, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I liked Ragnarok, but it's like sometimes sometimes they get into those scenes where like, well, we have to have this scene where you know we see her kill 50 dudes. It doesn't have any of that tension or any of the stuff from, you know, from Jaws where you care about. Like it cuts away and it's like no one cares about these people ever again. I almost feel like movie deaths, especially in Marvel movies, have almost become the equivalent of just, you know, a few years ago, Michael Bay movies doing everything with big explosions. Uh-huh, or yeah. now instead, it's like we equate lots of death to be that. And it's, you know, either way, it's like, well, it's just a, a, a hack. Like it's not a, yeah. you're not actually creating a dynamic scene. Yeah, we have, oh, yeah. We have to have this action scene where, yeah. you know, 500 people die. Yeah, I think there also might be, and I think they lessen it because they try to be PG-13, but the Bond movies, every climax of a Bond movie has several shots of some kind of tanker or barrels or objects exploding and guys like being flung away from it. Yes. So maybe they land in the water and they're fine. Yeah. But it's <laughs> it's really paying off that it just intercuts Bond fighting one guy hand to hand and meanwhile 17 things explode in fire. Yeah. When you work for Bond villain, do you do you swear like a blood oath to like... Dr. No is like, here's my plan. And they're like, yeah. Or are they just like, oh, I just signed up for like an engineering job or whatever. And they have no yeah. idea that they're working for a villain. So like they're not necessarily culpable. Yeah. Or it's just, or it's just like a job, you know, it's like, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm working for uh, Christopher Walken. He's, I don't know. He's got a blimp. He throws villains out of it. It's, it's cool. But it came whatever. with a good pension plan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get benefits. I kind of make my own hours. It's, you know, it's not so bad. I mean, he did kill everyone with an Uzi at the end to cover his tracks, but, but you know, there's not a lot of good jobs out there. I mean, everyone's job kind of sucks. So <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't be complaining. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Dan Hopper and Candice Martellaro for celebrating Jaws and celebrating just the whole medium of film. We pick these apart because we do like movies. We're into them. And you know what? You're going to be into our food newts, where you will find the Dan Hopper column on crack that sparked all this. It's called Five Tragic Movie Deaths We're Not Supposed to Care About. That column and the rest of the footnotes are rich with clips and other evidence for the kills that we gave, you know, some proper attention to, unlike the films. And, by the way, Candace Martellaro is a writer on a great sketch group out here in L.A. called Fembot PhD. She's also a writer on a great TV show that we've featured before called Stan Against Evil, And that season three of that show premieres soon. Uh, I said that long soon because it premieres on Halloween, uh, October 31st. So watch for it then. Uh, That is a spooky promo for a fun spooky show. Here's something much less spooky, just as fun. We are doing our next live LA episode on September 15th, this Saturday at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles. And it's going to be about TV, the whole thing. It's going to be about Emmy Awards that we wish existed. And I think our lineup for that is amazing because they are all comedians, all TV writers. We've got Haley Mancini, we've got Demi Adejuibe, and we've got Dana Gould, the creator of Stand Against Evil. How about that? They're all coming together with me to give you the absolute best live episode we can, because you deserve it. And also, hey, Emmy time. Isn't that fun? You know what else is fun? Our theme music, Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, a space where I try to just enjoy the drama of shows people are talking about and, you know, like, ease up on the real-life drama for my own mental health, if I possibly can. You'll find me being all chilled out at my Twitter account, Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. It's got my show dates and newsletter and more. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcasts. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.